Namaste and in la catch and welcome to this episode of One World in a New World. I'm your host Zen Benefiel and as always I will draw attention back to the namaste and in la catch. These are two ancient phrases, one from the Sanskrit, one from the Mayan. The Sanskrit namaste means the divine in me, recognizes the divine in you, and in la catch means I am another you. So imagine what that kind of perspective can do for you when you explore the possibilities within it. And I encourage you to do so. Just put it to the test and see what happens. All right. So this episode, uh, we're going to welcome Frank Balaji Aralo. And I hope I pronounced that right. I didn't ask him, um, but I think it's probably fairly close. He's a book author. His book is Dream. Manifest Your Path to Joy, Peace, and Contentment, uh, which is on Amazon. He's got a new one coming out too, and we'll talk about that a bit as well. He's a featured contributor on BizCatalyst 360, which is where we met initially. He's been an IT systems administrator and consultant for a number of years before launching into his own coaching realm. And I found one of the things that he said in his profile to, to be strikingly interesting, and that's staring financial bankruptcy in the face. I undertook a journey of self-discovery, reevaluation re of my values, reconnecting to my purpose. I started studying mindfulness, psychology, and neuroscience to discover how to create persistent transformation without having to constantly change things out there. <clears throat> so with that, Frank, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much, Zen. After that introduction, hey. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, indeed. you're thanks an intriguing guy, and, and uh, thanks for your willingness to, to come and chat. Oh, it's uh, a pleasure. So I, I'm curious as to, and, and with all my guests, we kind of explore, you know, the, the relevance of that beginning development of understanding or at least uh, getting inklings of this interconnection that we have to everything else. And was there a time in your life that you kind of had that initially? And, and you may have stuck with it or you may have, you know, uh, like many of us kind of left it behind for a while and then rediscovered it later. How was that experience? What was it like for you? Well, for, for me, it was, I started my spiritual journey um, kind of along the religious track of Christianity. So, uh, you know, that my, interesting enough, my father is Muslim, my mother is Christian, um, but we got raised more along the Christian pathway. So to say, I went to a Roman Catholic school. There wasn't that much in the spiritual element to that because it was more liturgy. It was more process. It was more just, sure, yeah, those kind of things. Did you ever get the rap on the knuckles from the nuns? uh yeah <laughs> yeah that and some but <laughs> they always look like they always look like they drank lemonade somehow but anyway yeah. um so it was when i started growing older and i remember my grandmother she 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 was a very spiritual person and she used to pray for us a lot and you know she'd sit up all night praying and things like that and i remember my mother calling us together as children when my grandmother died to say well she used to pull us up in prayer now it's our turn because she's not there to do it for us so we're going to have to start paying attention to our spiritual destiny so to say 
Mm-hmm. So at that point, we started getting active in, in Christianity and stuff like that. So then got introduced to the idea and the concept of spiritual gifts and things like that, you know, prophecy, dreams, speaking in tongues and all those kind of things. So ultimately, from that point of view, for me, then my spiritual framework was framed purely based on the Bible. And if it's not in the Bible, I'm not interested. That that was basically where I was. Not uncommon in today's world still. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so that, and, and then what happened was from that point of view, I then got introduced to a variation in Christianity that was inclusive. So that's where things began to shift. And the, the, that was framed as a grace movement, if you like. And the concept there was God loves absolutely everybody. Right. And there is nobody that is beyond God's love. And kind and of a Unitarian God, perspective. Yeah. Yeah. That right. God accepts you on the basis of, just being being you performance exactly rather than your performance so so that that kind of was a transition but but what really opened me up to a bigger and a wider definition of spirituality and to look and that's why i made reference to mindfulness and the likes of it was when i went through a period in my life where i was trying so hard to be financially independent and somehow I ended up, like I said, almost bankrupt. And, and if we get opportunity, we can explore what, how that <laughs> transpired. But nonetheless, my point is that made me pay attention to say, okay, everything I've believed and everything I've performed so far, I must be missing something if this is where I end up. What am I missing? And and and, and, and that's what, a great question that many of us don't ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had to ask because, you know, if, because for me, I wasn't just Christian. I was someone who was considered a Bible study teacher. I was considered a teacher, if you look at the Christian gifts. So I was the person to take the Bible, expand it, and help people understand what it's saying. So if, if I studied that much Bible and blah, 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 and my experience is, is, is ending up here, I'm missing something. What is it? So that, that's what led me to that search. And, and one of the things, I read a book by a Michael, Michael Singer called The Untethered Soul. And, and he, the premise was very simple, but everything is simple and profound, but earth shifting when it's what you need at that very moment. Right. And it's funny how simple and profound things truly are <laughs> once you start asking the questions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the question, the question and, and the thing that he put on the table was, have you ever considered that you are not your mind? And it's kind of like, oh, What? no <laughs> right, right 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 no oh, man that's that's just, <laughs> no that can't be and, and then I, it, i'm yeah. a thinking being I, it, I there's nothing beyond my mind right and, and it, it, what it reminds me of this story about you know a, a, a couple of fish going in water and there's this older fish talking to this two younger fish saying oh the water's pretty warm today isn't it and kind of like he goes across he goes past them they're going along and then one of them turns to the other one to say what water What's he talking about? Yeah. And it's that idea that when you're immersed in something and it seems everybody around you is immersed in it, you don't recognize it. Right. Until you have the grace. And I think my period of difficulty and trial made me open to explore. And like you say, that question I was asking opened the door for me to see, oh, wait a minute. I was now open to that because before I would have said, oh, this is all Eastern stuff. You know, we Christians don't touch this Eastern stuff, which is ironic because actually Christianity in theory comes from the East. But anyway, <laughs> very true. That's very true. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's not based 
here in the Western world. But anyway, <laughs> those things kind of miss us when we're when yeah. we're looking at. Oh, well, it's kind of you know it's kind of middle of the road in the Middle East, right? Yeah, Middle East. Which yeah. is kind of interesting. How how can you be you know is it Middle East, Middle West? Is there a Middle West? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> right. Anyway, yeah. um, so so in that. Yeah. which is a fascinating discovery I, i've got to admit and for those who do have it, it it's a wonderful journey that uh is often i like to use the term excruciatingly fun mm. because it is that process of recognizing that something's missing and mm. so there's a, a void there mm. that could be as you experience Let, let's look at that a little bit in your experience and and mm. how or where you were at in life, what you were engaged in, and, and how it was offering up this something's missing. Right. So, so the, the premise of it all was, I, I was always into personal development. So I always liked this idea of, you know, let's find ways in which we can look after ourselves financially so then we can do whatever we want that that was the the the, the kool-aid i was on at the time and, mm -hmm. and it was triggered by a guy called um robert kiyosaki in his book rich dad poor dad and the whole idea sure. was oh well you know don't just work for money make money work for you so which was a great idea and i thought well i love personal development i want to be a full-time coach so what i want to do is become financially independent so i can open a shop somewhere and say look i'm a full-time coach all pop in please but at least that's how i thought it was going to transpire um and, and, and kind of what happened was that everything i tried to do in order to get to this point of financial independence other people might very well be doing well with it, but I would find a way to screw it up, basically. So, so if, if it's foreign exchange trading, for example, I'd find a way to not follow the rules. I'd find a way to try and prove that I can do it in a better way, even though I've only just learned about it. I'd, there was almost like a subconscious sabotage going on with, with, with all the things I was trying. And I was always open to the next person who says, look, this is the thing that's really going to make it happen. If you right. look, I made millions from this. If you can just follow my system, you will make millions as well. And, and I just kept spending money buying all these programs and finding a way to mess it all up until I looked at the bank balance and thought, oh shit, this is not good. Right. If well, I keep focused on the outer. Yeah, yeah, right. that was the, my point. The doing. That, that was the point. And that, that is the big discovery, to be honest with you, was I, I realized that my model for success was an outside-in model rather than an inside-out model. Mm -hmm. That was my big revelation. Well, yeah. I'm and trying to go out there to make myself <laughs> successful right. and judging if I'm successful by virtue of sure. all the things that are out there. Yeah, well, it brings up the the old uh, adage or admonition, if you will, of the guy at the core of how you were brought up, and that is to make the without as the within. Mm. Yeah. With, that's such a simple statement, mm. right? And yet we tend to not really understand it or to use Heinemann's term to grok its importance. Mm. Yeah. And what's interesting as well is that even all the, all the Christian scriptures that I grew on were pointing to this, but I just didn't see it. Because mm -hmm. it, Christ would say the kingdom of God is in you. It's kind of like it's not out there. It's in there. He was saying you have no need that any man teach you because the spirit is in you. So there, there were pointers. 
right. to this. Right. It's just sometimes once you have a lived experience of what you're trying to do that's not working, like you're not ready to see that yet. Sure. And that, that is something that really, yeah, it really got me thinking. And, and then, like I say, when I read about you're not your mind and then I started putting that together to say, okay, are there things my mind is help telling me that I don't need to believe? Are there things that my mind is creating that I don't need to be involved right. in? I, I saw a meme one time that says, uh, don't believe everything you think. That would be, yeah, that would be a good <laughs> summation of it, really. Yeah. Um, because a lot of the stress and a lot of the, because that's the other big thing for me is this whole idea of us suffering emotionally because of all the things we've believed that the mind is making up about things. Okay, so let's explore that. That's a great observation. Mm. And so what do you think is the reticence that we have of being able to bring that out, to talk about it, to explore it, to feel safe enough to do so? I think because, like I say, it's a bit like the fish swimming in water. I, I think people just mind boggle at the idea that what do you mean you're not your mind and the irony here is it's the same mind that's trying to filter this communication so mm -hmm. it's like how, how do you step out of it enough to see it because it's there because one of the things that the, 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 the Michael Singh actually said in his book that was interesting was say okay don't, don't you find it curious though that your mind is taking two separate options it's saying oh it's this and then in the next second it's saying oh but it's that it's like, okay, what's the chances of that being the case? And right. also, why do you need the commentary about what you can already sense and see by your mind running constant commentary like a, like a, a roommate that can't shut up? But actually, it's observing. So he went, talked about this object-subject idea that, okay, who is observing what the mind is doing? Because if you're able to tell what the mind is doing, then you are not the mind because object-subject you can see it and you can observe what it's doing. Therefore, you must be apart from it to be able to see it or you're at least able to transcend it. So that, that was another And thing. have choice yeah. in it. Mm. Right? Because the observer then, if you're observing something, that gives, then you're aware mm. and it gives you the opportunity as to your choice of how to engage what you're observing or not. Indeed, yeah. Right? So the uh, I, I find it really interesting that, that you know, after 40 some odd years of, of studying research, I find this document that was written in 1964, or actually published in 1964. And in it, it offers a simple statement of, we live half inside and half outside. Hmm. Right? So within and without. And, and we don't, seem to really understand that for some reason we fear the unknown of the inner and that's probably the most present when we're able to just acknowledge and like you say you know step back and observe what's happening mm. so in that observation um for me I, I had similar background raised in a christian environment uh went into college started and, and had this uh, explosion into the awareness of, of uh cosmic consciousness for lack of a better and that the understanding that we are all cosmic consciousness condensed into form just mm. unaware so it also gave this opportunity to explore other things being a, a kind of a biblical scholar i then read the 
Quran, um, Upanishads, Rig Vedas, uh, Bhagavad Gita, Urantia book, uh, all kinds of things that, that explored the same topic from different perspectives. Hmm. And in that, I got the urge to go look up the word Satan and hmm. see where it truly originated from. I was in uh, college at the time, so I went down to the university library and, and referred to these two massive dictionaries, right? Uh, the two volume sets that are huge. And the first reference was from the Greek Thetan, T-H-E-T-A-N, meaning thinker. Hmm. And as soon as I read that, it was like a major clunk in the dots connecting inside of me of how it isn't an enemy. That's us. We are thinkers mm. by nature. Mm. So we're that satanic being that we are attempting to judge and criticize and, and make responsible for all the stuff that we do that's out of alignment with the inner. Yeah. So that kind of took me to a, a, a new level of releasing that, okay, this isn't a, a this is a projected being mm. of, you know, in the outer world of, of something that really we need to look at inside. Yeah, and I'd rather push that to say all of our experiences pretty much like that, really. Yeah. Um, in, in, in essence, because even what we call God, we when we think God, we're looking for a guy with beards and we're looking for <laughs> yeah, some... an anthropomorphic being, right? Yeah, yeah. Which, which in essence, I mean, the nature of spirit, spirit is formless by nature. And it's only for us to have some frame of reference that it ends up have, taking on any kind of form for us to observe. Right. right? It's pure and as form. In that truest original. form, then the cosmic consciousness condensed when it's fully manifest is what we call Christ consciousness mm. or Bodhisattva. Mm. Um, it's that... internal connection that makes everything um, visible mm. and our ability to move within that at escalating uh, levels depending on how willing we are to engage yeah and yeah. possibly and maybe this is you know do you feel like that for me I came to the notion of a perfected form, fit, and function in the world. And that that really the the nature of, of being human is twofold, to love and be loved, mm. ultimately. And that when those things are fulfilled, that we can find our, our uh, you know, we always ask about, do I have a purpose? Mm. Right. And so that would indicate that deep within us, we know we do somehow. We just don't yeah. understand how to arrive at that point, right? Or have the questions that are necessary to get us there. Yeah, and and and, and I suppose one one of the things I wanted to say about that, just to go back to a point you made a, a lot earlier, was this whole thing about seeing. And in essence, we don't actually see anything out there. All our seeing is internal, even though it, it's projected out there. So so there's nothing. All of the seeing faculties that we have, or are within. And then they're projected out. It's and manifests as our perceptions. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And, and then the other point I was going to make, uh, I'm a bit blurry, actually. Let me fix that quickly. Oh, you're it. fine. Yeah, yeah. I am. Okay, yeah. I'm fine. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah. Um, Stop yeah. looking at yourself. 
<laughs> but isn't that the ultimate, right? Yeah. We yeah. have to look at ourselves, truly. Yeah, yeah. No, that, I like that segue. That's very good. <laughs> That's Opportunity. Very good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Up, great, right? great, great. The, the other point I was going to make is this whole idea of the connectedness of all things. So, so there is only one essence in all of the universe, and that essence is showing up in different forms. Mm -hmm. So, so going back to the point you were making about faith and Satan, and and some people might balk at this, but ultimately, if that is true, then it has to come from the same essence. Absolutely, yeah. So if there is one, and we talk about the oneness of creation. Well, if yeah. there's just one, then yeah. how does that present? Yeah, yeah, and it has its job. It has its role to do even yeah. if it's just waking us up or helping us see what we're not seeing or helping us discover the trueness and the awesomeness of our own nature now let's look at it from a practical standpoint because we we talk about this stuff and, and we're pretty fluent at it yeah as we've connected and, and yeah. recognize that in each other yeah. and yet there's this other mindset that would hit, listen to us and think <laughs> well these guys are just talking about all these kinds of metaphysical principles that aren't really applicable in, in the practical day-to-day -day living mm. and that's and it's really unfortunate that that perception still exists mm. and yet it does so mm -hmm. how do we how do you see this and let's look at the current situation right we've got mm. a global institutionalized fear of each other mm that's been happening over the last couple of years and, and all this pressure from major media and the narrative to, to adhere to the recommended actions mm. that others outside of us are saying we need to take. Mm. How do you see it? And we're facing that now as a global community mm. and there's different places and, and, groups of people who are beginning to question that and question it so openly that they're in the streets protesting about it. Mm. So how is, could this be the silver lining of some unforeseen event that took place that we want to say happened because of certain things, right? And yet may have had something else in store for us as, as a silver lining or a potential one. How do you see that or, or do you see that? Right. Okay. So here's my premise when it comes to anything whatsoever is that the universe is unfolding for us, not to us. So in that line, my question would always be, what is the situation I'm in? Even if I wouldn't have chosen it for myself, what does it offer me as a gift for me to be able to grow, develop and experience life more fully? That, 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 that would be my approach. So looking at it. Excellent question. Way, yeah it, it, and looking at it that way then the idea then is okay because one thing i've heard where i work as well there's a lot of uncertainty and people moving on and things like that some people end up in victim mode of saying this has happened to me and it's not fair and and this and that but the question really there is where is my power in this what can where's, i where's your agency in that yeah what's your agency that's it exactly so 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 the question then is what I'm, what did I not see before that I can now see that I can do something about? And very often that means is that it's like a wake up call. You're being woken up to say you've been daydreaming through life and the foundations you've built are not strong enough to handle this kind of situation. 
therefore there's an opportunity to build something different that can handle that so it's kind of looking the at transition it seems from right. competition in the last century to now right. collaboration because we're all in it together now yeah yeah that, that's a beautiful frame in, in, in and, and I think going back to what you were saying is how does this understanding then inform that is when you understand that we are all one then you ask the question how can we serve each other so that we all rise rather than what can I take from you to make me better so this zero-sum game kind of looking at things the rising tide philosophy yeah yeah that sort of thing right. but, but ultimately also, one of the big things that's come up for me, and, and I, you kind of follow this out in the book, is that the idea that the universe has not come to serve us because the universe has predated us. Therefore, we have been invited to participate in the unfolding of the universe. And the beauty of that is that if, the, if we all come from the same essence, then that is the essence if we allow it to guide us and if we participate in it, it will coordinate us in a way it will bring us together in a right. way where we are serving each other for the good of all and not trying to take away in order to make one better and it's it's amazing how that philosophy is reflected almost ubiquitously in those who are exploring from all kinds of different realms from industry education uh, law um, politics, all, all those kinds of things. I'm reminded of a book called Biocosm. It was written by a guy named John Gardner, I think, uh, who's a lawyer. And in it, he talks about the, how the universe replicates itself in each of us. Mm. And that then that universal thread, if you will, that each of us have, then becomes this tapestry as we begin to observe and participate and mm. question how we can participate better in it. And like you say, you know, we realize that we're missing something. Mm. Like what are we missing? Science is now showing that we're inextricably connected. We're 99% space. Mm. So that means there's a lot of flow happening that we aren't mm. aware of in that emptiness of space but it really isn't emptiness some people are calling it dark matter it, 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 it maybe it's our shadows right that we're having to deal with now and, and looking at ourselves and what we've been willing to accept as truth without mm. questioning it when the matter is we need to question it in order for it to be revealed yeah it, yeah that makes it, sense it, 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 yeah, and it's the dropping away of the filters to see what has always been there. Right. Because we're not creating anything new here. We're, we're uncovering what has always been when we're ready to see what that is. Now, isn't that congruent with the term apocalypse? Right? Because apocalypse means unveiling knowledge. I did not know that. Yeah, it doesn't mean that catastrophic, you know, I world event or, or something like that. It simply means uncovering knowledge wow that's beautiful so I what is the basis for knowledge <laughs> right it's kind of a zen thing it's what is well what mm. is right <laughs> how do we determine what is and it depends on the frame of uh, and the lenses that we have as to how we see it indeed 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 yeah that that, that is beautiful i love that idea of of 
yeah the unveiling the scene well, how how did you uh, understanding that and, and i see that as a reflection of, of your work and of my work yeah. and others work well how um, what are the practical things that you've been able to see and and let's go back in into the realm that you've been in the it world right mm -hmm. because we're electronic just mm -hmm. the same you know there's the same light pulses going through us as are going through the glass tubes mm -hmm. right when we consider that everything's light or frequency. Mm. So how do you see that kind of reflection or, or um, in the work that you're doing in integrating systems as well as the people in them? Yeah. So the, the work I do, because I'm more, I don't do the technical elements. I work with projects and deliver projects. So it's the people mm -hmm. element that I tend to deal with more. And right. what I'm finding, what I'm finding is that helping people to develop an a sense of agency that is not victim based. So, so is helping people see that there is what's happening out there, and there's how they're reacting and interrelating to those things happening out there, right. and give them the agency to be able to step behind mind and recognize that they, in their internal core, is love and they are okay. And therefore, if they're experiencing anything out there as less than okay, it's not the stuff out there that's the issue. Right. It's how they're relating to it. Because there is the possibility to stand in that place and be able to objectively look at something and recognize that it is the mind that is creating the drama. Right, right. Well, how the heck do you talk about love in the workplace, right? Because people are so resistant to even mentioning that word in a workplace right yeah that, that, of, of being love well how what kind of questions uh, understanding that from your perspective again mm -hmm. how does that transfer into applicable articulation when you're working with groups of people to get them to a greater understanding without <laughs> infringing on that love word right okay so, so what i found to be the issue and, and it's very interesting we're talking about this in february where we're approaching valentine's day and, and the rest of it right. I, I think part of the, the, the issue is that obviously the word love has been so co-opted into different areas and used in certain ways one of the biggest problems barriers to love is what we call romantic love because of the lack of basis that it has and the, the, the impingement on emotion rather than something deeper that, that is connected at a much deeper level, which is not just based on little act, try acts here and there that people can use to manipulate other people, but something that's felt in here that recognizes it in you and then calls it out in someone else. And, and it's the removing right. of the filter right. and being able to see someone as they truly are. Now that would require them having the permission and having a safe space to do it and sure. the only way i found to do that is to mirror it first to help people see so before i work with anybody generally speaking we would have had some sort of connection and my connection to them would be to create a space where i help them see that i'm only in this for their good but being in this for their good may mean i might have to challenge them on something they don't want to see or look at mm -hmm. but that is still love well, and that's the critical feature that I see that when questions are asked, they're generally 
perceived as a threat, hmm. right? Or have been because frankly, most of us don't like being questioned hmm. because it, it forces us, forces us to look in, hmm. to really take a, a, maybe not a deep, but at least a cursory view hmm. of where we're at with it. And that can be confrontational because we may not necessarily know. We might have a belief system that we think is applicable, but mm. when those questions come up and, and that constrictive sensation happens because, oh my gosh, now I'm being questioned. How do I respond? Mm. Right. Yeah. And a lot of that is, it can be with the skill of the person holding the space sure. uh, and, and, and being able to communicate an energy because there's so much you can communicate with words, but there's a power and an energy behind the sincerity and genuineness with your whole. 85% of our communication is nonverbal. Ex exactly. But I also like to put this on the table. I don't believe that I can hold that kind of space if it hadn't been through what I went through. Absolutely. And I don't think any of us can. We yeah, can yeah. surmise what it might be like, but it's, and it is the experience, it's the direct experience of it that anchors the authenticity that we can then share through yeah. the compassion yeah and the empathy to 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 recognize because i was very judgmental like i said to you in my previous incarnation of how i held <laughs> christianity i was very judgmental and, and i just figured if people had problems because they couldn't get their shit together that's all it was yeah, yeah, yeah. by the time i'd experienced something myself i recognized no it's nothing to do with that and any of that stuff can happen to anybody at any time right and I, opened up my heart to be able to hold people saying we're in this together and this your story is my story almost in a way and so a leopard can change its spots yeah 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 well spots are, are an illusion of the mind anyway well yeah everything's kind of spotty if you transitory um so in the, the development of that, and I think it, what you're saying is absolutely true. You have to step into that role model. Mm. And, and that doesn't mean that your growth stops. That, that mm. means that actually you're challenged even more mm. to be in that place. Not only because it, you're aware that it needs to happen, mm. but because it's your choice to do so. Mm. Mm. yeah there's a saying that says actually that you generally speaking you get the clients you need for you to grow right and yeah. and the others the flip side of that is listen to the words coming out of your mouth because they're for you yeah 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 that that's another part of it yeah that's another part of it and i've had those experiences where i've, I've just given i've said something to someone and then gone away and thought you know i think i could use, <laughs> I could right, right, use right. that myself. so there it's so have there been moments where you've heard your father's words come out of your mouth? When you use father, frame that for me just so okay. The, the your your bio the person the male figure that raised you. Okay. Because right? uh, for me, I, I remember a conversation I was having with my daughter at 15 that I my father's words came out of my mouth and, and I recognized them and I even said something to her in that moment. Right. right. Oh man, I never thought I'd heard <laughs> I'd hear dad's words coming out of my mouth. Right. But here they are. And so, so there was some value in that. 
Yeah, in, indeed. And, and, and that's why I asked for the qualification, because for me personally, I didn't have a great relationship with my father. And part of what was missing was exactly what you're calling out, that sense of mentoring. Mm -hmm. That's because he, by the time we, so we, we, I was born here in the UK and then we moved back to Nigeria. And then by the time we got back to Nigeria, he kind of developed a new lifestyle that wasn't based around the immediate family. It was kind of more extra social kind of lifestyle. So as right. a result, he became missing in action effectively when it came to raising me as a father. So, and, and which in a way affected my ability to perform that role, but I made a choice when I did. You didn't have an example. Yeah, exactly. And I'm still unraveling that as we speak. So, so but what, what I'm fortunate to have had happen was I did make a decision when I started having children that actually what I'm going to do is be present. Now, I may not have all the skills and the tools, but I will be present. And, and to me, that's made a big difference in how my children have been able to grow because you just show up with your heart willing to do what you know to do. Right. That's what you can do. Right. And, 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 that, and that's, that's been a great experience. Yeah, that's what my father did for me. He wasn't yeah. my biological father. I was orphaned. Right and adopted early and, and mm. it just so happened i was adopted on their wedding anniversary interesting on their seventh so it was easy for me to keep track of their anniversary that way right uh, it's kind of a dual celebration and yet the the advantage i mean because of the adoption and of course i didn't know it uh, initially until my sister came home four and a half years later mm. and so then they decided to tell me and, you know, the, the question of unconditional love was never there, mm. right? And yet, once I found out the questions of, okay, who are my biologicals? And because of, of attending Sunday school already at that age, my question went to, you know, do I have a father and mother in heaven? Can I mm. talk to them? Kind of like Jesus was talking about, right? So he says everything he could do, we could do more. So mm. is that communication line open? Mm. and a few months later I, it actually did open mm. there was a voice that i heard one night waiting for my father to come home from the store and it just it appeared initially as a hey you mm. and startled me but you know it was like okay i answered a hey you right because <laughs> i heard it it was mm. to me it didn't mm. call me by name it just said hey you and i heard it and i spun around and, and asked my mother if she heard the voice too, because it was that loud. I knew mm. she should have heard it, mm. right? She didn't. So then I had the awareness of, oh, it must have come from within. Mm -hmm. I was a four and a half year old. Who the heck understands that fully? It, it, but the awareness of hearing it was mm. irrefutable right and yet there was this um unknown factor that i had to work with in order to establish that communication flow mm. which i was able to do over time just by standing in front of windows at night and projecting that hey you out and waiting there for it to come back interesting mm. thing is it didn't return until i was completely silent mm. and vulnerable Mm. fearless mm. so i learned that before i was five now was i able to carry that through the rest of life not hardly mm -hmm. right and, and it wasn't until i got much older when i realized that 
that fearless factor was what opens the door to everything else. Mm. That, that, as I'm saying that, I'm sure that you were, your wheels were turning, you were reflecting on it in your own life. And mm. how did that, uh, or what kind of generative response did that bring? So, so for me, I think we were talking actually before we click record on this, was this, for me, I don't hear an audible voice, but I certainly do hear a prompt or a direction or something that kind of just gives me that confidence say, yeah, go there, or that mm -hmm. is right, or that kind of makes sense, or, and, or just things come up in, in, in here that I just, I just go with it. And, and it took a while to learn to trust that, to, to oh, learn yeah, that. It's so nebulous, you yeah. know, and, and so out of nowhere. Yeah. And so subtle. Yeah, that that is the word. That is that is the that is the word. Because again, when, when you grow up in an environment where people are going, yeah, I hear the voice of God and this, that, and the other, you're kind of expecting it to be in a certain way for it to be validated as being divine, divinely inspired. But ultimately, I then recognize that people pick up these signals differently in their own way. Absolutely. The important thing is, what are you doing with it when you get it? And it's the opportunity to be able to do things and trust. And one of the things I had to learn was not to be attached to the outcome. Because then what the mind gets involved and starts saying, oh, what if they think you're stupid? Or what if they think you're this? Well, and if you get stuck in all the what ifs, you will not... And those are, the, there starts the projections. Yeah, right? yeah. And yeah, they go exactly. all kinds of different directions and yeah. never manifest. Yeah. So it's kind of just follow through and let it be what it is. And, and if it comes back, it comes back. If it doesn't, it's not your problem. Just do what that is calling you to. Just right. be true to that. So let's go, back at, at the, let's go back into the practical realms of, of the workaday life. Right? Yeah. And how does that show up with you in... in and observing others hmm. in process of that it is there um an obvious sign or signals or patterns that you see that then you become aware need some slight adjustments so you can step in and nudge them a little bit or, or is it more demonstrable to you so, so I've got two principles that I operate by when I'm at work. One is to love the people first as people before expecting anything of them as fellow co-workers. So that, mm -hmm. that's always my first starting point. I want you to know I care about you as a person if you never do anything for me again, if we never do anything together again. So that's the foundation I like to hold. Right. And what that so You come at them with a open arms rather than a hook. Yeah, 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 basically. And, and then once I establish that, on top of that, I have seen then that there's nothing that I can't put on the table that they won't come to and say, okay, I know that comes from a place of love. So even if it's a challenge or if it's a whatever, they know it's coming from a place of love and then they can interact and engage and we can learn together what needs to be different for things to be better going forward. So that's one. This, the second thing for me as well in, in my day-to-day -day work is this idea of, again, going back to what I was saying earlier about trusting the direction so very often I've, I've been given directions six months in advance to say, start making these kind of changes. And really, if you were to look at it mentally, it doesn't make sense making those changes there. But I've learned not to question that. And what happened was actually, I was told, okay, begin to divest these responsibilities now. And I was thinking, why am I doing that now? But I still got, 
But six months down the line, things got announced, things started happening, and it made all the sense in the world that, okay, it was in preparation for the change that was to come that had no way of knowing in my own natural mind, but because I trusted what I was led to do, I actually had set up perfectly that environment to be sure. able to cope and deal with what was coming. And there's a business philosophy too, that you create your replacements, mm. right? As you're moving onward, should you choose to do so, mm. that you have to create your replacement because there's a gap that needs to be filled when you leave. Mm. And so, you know, the delegation, the, the distribution of uh, uh, labor, so to speak, mm. right? Uh, there's that shift. And, and when, and I have this sense that we can see patterns innately, we just may not be completely aware of it at the mm -hmm. moment. And that's how the the future evolves right mm. that we begin to connect the dots within those patterns into constructions that or constructs that work more effectively together mm. in a sense being more harmonious right there's this convergence toward a goal where the ego becomes we go doesn't discount the, the ego because it's a necessary part of our being and there's yeah all we, we all need personal agency all right uh, yeah, yeah. Right. And it's nothing to destroy, uh, which many self-development programs attempt to do, because but it's not the ego that you're destroying. It's your misplaced agency. Right. Yeah. And, and I love you brought that to the table, actually, because what I find is when I'm trying to help people see beyond mind, I find the next thing they want to do is hate the mind and fight the mind and do everything. And I think like, that doesn't work. That kind of counter that, that's counterproductive. The mind counterintuitive too yeah, but yeah, yeah it seems to be a natural part of the process yeah 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 so it's, it's like the, the mind the mind is just genuinely confused because you can't tell what's a real danger from an imagined one and and and, and the mind is good as, as as an agent for getting things done it's just not good as a master problem is the mind tends to think it's the master and if you let it be master that's where the problem starts and the suffering begins then there's also this understanding now from um, brain studies Hmm. right where uh, the gamma zone the hmm. athlete this, this was found first in athletes where it didn't matter whether the, the, when they were hooked up to the machine right didn't matter whether they were physically doing or imagining they were yeah the same area of the brain lights up regardless definitely yeah so that would indicate like you're saying it it that the outer doesn't matter yeah it's how we create that inner vision mm. of perhaps direction and purpose mm. right and when you're in the workplace when you're in organizations community development uh, manufacturing distribution you know the the bottlenecks that come up to the efficacy of the flow are those personal I don't necessarily want to call them issues because they're ish me's. Mm. <laughs> they're not an issue. It, it's the three fingers coming back at you, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you, and so those come up and, and they can be constrictive and, and mm. the effective manager, leader, supervisor can recognize these kinds of things when they are choosing that path for self-development as well. Unfortunately, we haven't made that a 
consistent uh, effort or opportunity in organizational development. Yeah, and, and I think part of the problem is that uh, I really don't like using this phraseology, but we have to own it. I think the, the way the Western world is set up, almost set up for an industrial kind of agent kind of thing where we educate people uh, to follow processes and we... Absolutely. Uh, and that's cookie the way cutter, it was set up. Yeah. Cookie cutter everything. And we try and separate and create false dichotomies. In this is your personal life. This is your work life. You know, the, the, that doesn't exist. It's the same core of the person that's showing up. And if their work life, if their home life is messed up, guess what? It's going to show up at work. Right. Or they're going to be hiding at work from what's happening at their work. And they're only creating a pressure container that's going to blow. And sometimes it'll blow at the workplace. It won't blow at home. So, so I think going back to what you're saying, I think if we start kind of merging those things together and start recognizing that there is a hole at play here and the core of that hole actually comes from the formless to form. And therefore, if you are seeing things in the realm of form, if you want to address it at root, you have to go from what intention is it coming from? What understanding is it coming from? What paradigm is it coming from? Because if those are misaligned, you could do all the work you like. It's going to still come out the way it's coming out. Because if you see everybody as separate and there's a zero-sum game and if he loses, I win. And if I win, he loses. That's a paradigm that's not going to grow us all together in a collaborative framework. Right, right. I uh, ran into a guy years ago, and I love the one phrase that I heard him say that has stuck with me, and that is, what we do anywhere, we do everywhere. Mm. So those patterns you're talking about, we may not recognize them at home, but we do recognize them at work, mm. right? And then as you begin to look at you know, I agree. You know, we have, we're a holistic system. We mm. have a holistic life. It's mm. not separate pieces. However, we try to categorize or compartmentalize mm. them. Mm. Those walls are still connected and, and they form a honeycomb, mm. so to speak, right? Yeah. Um, and we're unable. And, and when you, and this is one of the things that I found um, on the internal journeys, journeys at one point where this geometry mm. takes shape inside and, and the, the visuals of it was like a honeycomb, right? Mm. Where you could uh, choose and even with the hexagonal configuration, right? Mm. So the inner kind of spills out into nature in ways that we can then learn how to observe. And, and then comes the <clears> whole story about the biomimicry that's in place right now and, and the, the trending that mm. we're looking at, how can we reflect nature? How can mm. we learn from nature? Because yeah. it's got everything we need when we ask it questions rather than think that we have dominion over it. Right, that, that, right. that was the point I was making earlier about that. that. If we get the perspective right and the relationship right, life flows in a completely different way. And we're not butting up against stuff because we're recognizing Okay, we may not understand it intellectually, but this is the flow that in retrospect, when we look at it, we then come to recognize, oh, I see what was happening here. This was all for the beauty of the whole, even though it might have looked, what's your phrase again, excruciatingly fun? Excruciatingly <laughs> fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and we have to admit, it is that. Yeah. And it's our own argument with ourselves yeah. that caused that. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that, you know, wonderful man, uh, his name's Kai Alex D. Um, it was the original Woe Fat on Hawaii 50 years ago. And he had doctorate in theology, the Taoist. He had a, mm-hmm. a, a, he was a rector for a Taoist temple here in, in uh, our Taoist sanctuary here in Tempe. But he says to me one day, you know, it, in our way, it's either desirable or undesirable. Mm. And we can sense that. We can sense that from a gut level, which kind of falls into uh, another ancient philosophy of indigenous realms where it's the first brain. It's where we connect mm. to reality. And mm. science is now showing that our gut has the sufficient neurocircuitry or neurosensors in it to do so. That's why we say follow your gut, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it makes so much, it's like, duh, you know, <laughs> we've heard this for a long time. We've heard about intuition. We've heard about gut feelings. Mm. And yet we second guess everything. Mm. And we go with what's up here instead. So, and that's called the third brain where the, the gut's the first brain. So we process things from the head down and we shove the crap into our body and wonder why it's diseased. <laughs> That's another conversation for another day. <laughs> right. Yeah, so there's we, a lot of awareness it, around that tonight. No. Oh, absolutely. And, and the stinking thinking, right? Yeah. And, and that's kind of what we're talking about is when we see things as separate or as um, disconnected in, some, mm. in any way, mm. uh, if we're experiencing it, everything's connected. We just can't see it as yeah. that's not where we're viewing it from yeah there's only one essence in all of the universe it's just showing up in different ways sure. for some purposes yeah yeah we used to call it living in spirit now it's called living in quantum entanglement with a unified being. <laughs> <laughs> i like that i like that another phrase i like from the bible is it says christ is all in all it's kind of that kind of yeah the essence is in all right and we get caught up in the word rather yeah. than the understanding yeah because it's pointing words words are inadequate to communicate the true essence of anything right because it comes from a direct experience yeah because if if i speak it by the moment i speak it by the time it gets to you it's corrupted because you're going to have your frame and filter on it (laughs) what about i don't know what's what i'm thinking until it comes out of my mouth (laughs) right and i've heard that used I, i made me pause and it's like you know, because there are those moments when you are open and vulnerable and available as a, let's say, a transmission device, mm. right? Because the flow is there and whatever needs to happen, you're available for it to come out your mouth. Indeed. Right? Indeed. And, and I think that that's what we're here for personally is how I see it, is, is that we're here to give form to that which the the whole wants to do to build itself nourish itself yeah support itself so how do you see this um evolving coming out of covid and and what do you see as evidence that this is actually taking place because i think the more that we can observe and reflect that the greater opportunity it gives to others to do so. I, I think first I need to say that 
people will obviously come at this from different places depending on what they're ready to see but what i've certainly seen is people are a lot more open to asking questions for sure and the things that people have always taken for granted especially the permanence of their situation or the permanence of things being a certain way has now been thoroughly challenged so that people now understand that anything can change at any time so they're beginning to question what's really important to me if my life were to end very soon because of this that or the other what would I regret not having done? So they're starting to look, that's why now it's recorded, a lot of people are changing jobs and moving around because now they're thinking, well, stuck at this job for a reason, that reason no longer holds because things could change very quickly and then it doesn't matter. So what would really make me fulfilled as a person? I'm going to go and do that or I'm going to go and seek that. So, so I think definitely it's, it's woken people up to not sleepwalking through life potentially and also begin to evaluate what's important to them it's also shined a lot of light on health people recognizing the need to have maybe a, a better more buoyant immune system and mm -hmm. be more careful about okay what would it take for that to, to happen for them so those are some of the observations i've had and people are a lot more open to these kind of conversations as well thank you for that it mirrors yeah. um the result of what i had said to my wife at the beginning of our lockdown here in america mm. and i what i said to her was i really hope this obsession on self-hygiene and sequestration gets mm. people to turn inward because mm. it, that's the only place they can go now mm. They, mm. it's only them right especially the single folks that the, they're cooped up with themselves right mm. are they going to um obsess on the media narrative mm. or are they going to realize wait a minute i need to just kind of be with myself and, and examine my life like you were saying mm. right this is that trend of asking more questions being more present figuring out you know what do i really need in mm. my life that mm. makes me feel fulfilled as opposed to uh, just being able to pay the bills yeah, and, and it's beautiful you say that because now that you were talking, I began to reflect actually a very important part of my journey was this idea of learning to be comfortable with being just with me. Because what I hadn't recognized before then was that there was a lot of distraction techniques or distraction. So it's like always be watching something or always be fiddling with something or always being this task or that. Not No ability to actually just sit with myself and not feel like I'm boring myself by being with myself. Right. So, so that, that and, and, and really the way the universe helped me with that was to kind of give me a, a period of what seemed to be insomnia. So it's like, can't sleep. But ultimately, actually, what that opened the space for is in those moments when it felt like I was trying to sleep but couldn't sleep, I learned to go inward. I learned to get comfortable with seeing what I was looking at and saying, well, okay, that's me, that's there. What is that telling me? What's that saying to me? And over time, that's just built now where I'm, I'm quite happy. I could be lying there for two, three hours. And it's like, where's that time gone? Right. Because I'm just right. creating things that I want in my mind. I'm just playing around with things. I'm reflecting on things and and, and allowing things to come to me and stuff like that. So it, it is something that people would either press more into numbing or press more into getting comfortable with. What you described to me just now was the process of meditation mm. right of getting quiet 
observing your distractions mm. and kind of having the opportunity to analyze mm. them. You know, this is how the mind is used as a tool rather than uh, a master. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And in that process, it, it, and this is the, the essence of meditation is to get you to be still and observe your life from that mm. place. So when you're quiet, then that doesn't mean you're going to shut off because your mind still operates and, and mm -hmm. <laughs> you just become more attuned to watching the, the opportunities for distraction. Yeah. yeah. Your thoughts that are flowing by and it, it gives you the opportunity to, to kind of examine those and say, okay, now what about those? Are they real? Are they imagined? What can I do yeah. about it? What can't, what can't I do about it? Mm how much control do I really have of my own reality? And mm -hmm. then you come to, oh, it's how I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea of not being attached to or be believing yeah. everything just because it's there. It's yeah. Well, you mentioned outcomes and, and not being attached to outcomes earlier. Mm. And that doesn't mean, you know, people see that, well, you can't, that means you can't be attached to whatever your strategy you're planning or, or your goals or objectives or anything. no that's not what that means mm. by by doing so you actually raise the bar mm. right because you, you can still have high expectations mm. of outcome that doesn't mean you're going to be tied to the specific of how it comes to pass yeah right it's the ability to to create the space to have fun to play and play as big as you want to play not right. being attached to Oh, you know, because it then it's got to look this way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because then the mind latches on that and then starts beating you over the head with that. And starts distracting you with that because, oh, but it's not looking the way I thought it would look or whatever. And I think if you are aligned anyway, I think you begin to recognize that you are tuning into the frequency that's already at play. Mm, absolutely. And, and what that does is that if, if that's what's coming to you from that frequency, that this is how big the playing field is, then that's exciting because you're saying, wow, this thing is really going to blow mm -hmm. and I'm going to be involved in this fun that's going to happen as a result. Right. All I need to yeah. do is be in tune to know what makes sense to do next. Now, from a personal perspective, and, and maybe you've experienced this too, and, and I'm, I'll ask you outright mm -hmm. if you have, right? So, for me, uh, when I went into light as a teenager, I, it had this iridescent, effervescent, high-pitched sensation that was just amazing. Mm. And I often, when that, that process that you're talking about, the, the play and the work and the collaboration and all, all, all of that, there's this, you call it a frequency, there's a sense that it moves up, mm. right? And if you're and I will ask hmm. when you're in that space, what's that sensation like? It, is it a, a, is it a feeling? Is it a hearing? Is it a combination of those things and more? How do you experience it or, or how would you identify it for you that others who have a similar frequency to you might hmm. see it or sense it? So I'm, I'm glad you asked the question because I think this moment in itself is a perfect example of that because there's that flow just here, like a warm glow, warm feeling that just travels down that way and then reaches out to the limbs. And it just 
to me it just comes across as yeah this is what you're meant to be doing right now this is this is the space where there's a and, and it also signals to me there's a there's a flow so it's not just even just it's like a flow even if the flow is me producing something writing something or talking to somebody they, they, there's an opening of an energy and there's a flow and it's almost got a circuitry about it that's coming back do you see what i'm trying to say absolutely and, 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 you describe and it very it. well you know I, I i have my own ways of describing it and yeah. i always love to to ask the question of what's your experience of this same yeah. thing mm. because we we all have that different perspective that mm. then comes together as a collective Mm. when we're in that space and, and the more we can empower that through those that we're engaging right it, this and for me it, it's happened with production control in the aer aerospace industry and 2700 people in the plant that i had to deal with from time to time to uh organizing and, and running events that had um you know 50 volunteers or, or and you know several hundred thousand patrons hmm. and then it advanced to working with building road and bridge construction teams stakeholder teams to facilitate partnering sessions hmm. which focus on this you know no ego without we go thing where you come together with the goal and, and i call it job archy right where the job's the boss and everybody wins mm -hmm. and you create that that, that yeah. flow towards it and then that also applies in my transformational coaching, hmm. right? Where in the, where I can individuate that and ask, help the person learn to ask the questions of themselves, or ask them to, you know, give them the prompts to do so, and mm -hmm. create their better connections and the flow in their own lives. And and the results are, are completely observational. I mean, some of my project, the, the um, construction projects actually um, got Marvin M. Black Awards, were, which are the highest award in the construction industry. Wow, that's a million dollar, you know, huge projects. So just being able, and nobody knows that I did that at the beginning, right? Mm. I, I'm just performing a function to bring everybody on, literally on the same page, because we, I haven't signed their charter and goals and objectives document. And, and I talk about that. So I use what many would seem as metaphysical principles Mm -hmm. But I talk about them in very practical and pragmatic ways because they just make sense when you hear them with the, that articulation. Yeah. And, and it's going back to, like you say, the whole idea that if we go back to first principles of what's the essence and the core behind it, then we build on that. What are the practical out outtakes of that? Absolutely. So on, on the, the framework uh, or the... Um, offering side of things of what you can impart to others as far as the maybe the practical things or, or some of the simpler things that they may able or may be able to start um, exploring perceiving asking questions about for themselves what would you suggest those might be for now and, and with what we're experiencing in the world Right. So I, I think really, uh, and, and again, it's, it's the reason why I read, read, wrote the book Dream, which is a book of poetry. And I found it poetry. fascinating that, you know, your book was Dream and my business I've had for 34 years now is called Be the Dream. Yeah, we, we connected to that, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
the connection, right? That's what it's yeah. about. Yeah, and 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 the and the thing behind it was it's not incidental that it's actually a framework. So the D is for discovery, is to discover where am I now? So what am I? What is gone on here? Am I really in the essence and the fullness of the kind of life I signed up for? So it, it's kind of becoming aware of where you are now. And then the R is about recovery. So it's about okay, what from the excruciating fun. <laughs> And, and what we've just been through that was uncomfortable, that wasn't what I would have chosen, is going to be useful for me going forward. What can I learn? How can I look at it differently to a place where actually I begin to see the gold in it? That, that is what that, that is about. Then the envisioning is about, okay, what do I have as gifts? What do I have as passions? What do I have as the things that light me up? That I can use and offer as something that would add value to other people and how can i take that and use it to serve others and how in that service can i as well be rewarded so that that's and then action a is for action to say what do i know to do now that i can do and when i know better i can change and then do better it's the idea behind that is not to get stuck in perfectionism and things like that or being afraid and also not to overlook any small action you take because ultimately every action when you do it consistently builds up to something that you look back and recognize what difference that's made then m is manifestation and that to me is where i get you with what i call the punchline of the book and the punchline of the book is i know i've told you that you're doing all this stuff but actually now that we've gone this far I'm going to tell you that you're here to participate in what the universe has called you for. And now what you have to do is trust what's there, connect with that, flow through that. And there's something in there called flow where you enter into the bliss of what is there for you now, where there's people talk about, if you love what you do, you never have to do a day of work in your life, that, that kind of thing. And that is the manifestation piece. That's really cool. So what I heard you saying in all of that was what you seek is seeking you. That is exactly, I couldn't have put it better. What you're seeking is seeking you. And, and if you would, if you would allow me, I'll just read one piece from the book. Is that sure. okay? Sure. Right. This one is called the mythical beast. Searching for the mythical beast without it, I'm told I can't be complete. With all others, I must compete to find that which has been missing of me. Untold harm incurred in its pursuit. Banks emptied, souls vanquished. Once their relationships laid to waste, no rest for the soul that yearns to be filled. Countless people line well-worn paths. Some crawl, some walk while others fly. United in the seemingly never-ending quest bent on finding and taming this elusive beast. Come what may, no matter the cost, the promise of utopia fuels the drive. This many people just can't be wrong, all hell bent in service of filling the void. Each step I take seems to bring me close, till right before my eyes it seems to mutate. Perchance the description given crafted to mislead, I dare not quit, failure, the antithesis of what I seek. Some days I arise feeling like this could be the one. Catch up with the beast, beast that fits the bill. 
but the promised euphoria fails to persist. Like the great Houdini, it eludes my grip. Surrendered to my fate, it never to find. Taming that mythical beast was never mine. Returning home in despair only to find. The beast was always here, and I was it. And hence, the Thetan in each of us. Right? That was beautiful. Um, that's how it, it, it's, it works, right? You're um, moving through seeking what's seeking you. Mm. And that we're the only one that gets in the way. Indeed. Right. That was super. Frank, I, I have really appreciated this conversation. It was uh, wonderful. We're, we've kind of come upon the uh, uh, semi-end time, right? <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> uh, I never put any specifics on it because I just pay attention to the flow and, and yeah. the, um, the, ad, the advantages of, of doing so mm. and creating the conversations. Mm. Um, and I really appreciate your your energy, your your drive, your perspective, your observational capacity, and the way that you reflect and articulate. Uh, I think, or I don't think, I have the sense that this was going to be a, a great opportunity for our viewers as well. So I thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. I mean, the two times that we've actually sat down together, there's been such a beautiful flow of energy and and, and between us. And, and I've just known that there's something aligned there. And I'm glad that we, we got to spend this time together. And, and like I say, I hope your viewers get value from it. And, and uh, I'd just like to say that the, the book as well is supporting five charities. So anything they do to um, obtain a copy will be helping charities across the universe. And I'll have the support. links in the descriptions as well. So super. And, and yeah, we uh, exampled the ability to broach some very sensitive subjects and provide a, a foundation from which to spring from in our mm. empathic and generative conversation. Mm. Apocalyptic in its own way. I love that. I, I really, like I said, I'd never heard that before. It's brilliant. I love it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the Latin um uh description or the the latin uh definition of the word so it, it's uh it's good to know where words come from so that we can mm. have clarity in our understanding right Indeed. all right speaking of namaste and in la catch thank you so much for tuning into this episode of one world in a new world i'm zen benefield your host and I'll see you next time. Uh.